Emily, are you thinking about traveling anywhere within the next year? I would love to get to Texas to see the Johnson Space Center. Oh. But who knows when that's going to happen? That sounds like a lot of fun. It's, I would seems I would cool. join you on that trip. Do you want to like well, take a like a road trip down to Tejas? A road trip to Houston would be so far. I mean, it's just you know we'd have to spend a night in you know uh, I don't know Nashville. <laughs> Dead that's, silence. That's probably, how do I get out of this? I, I was trying to. I was <laughs> He's trying got to so do, much logic. I was He's already planned the trip. I had like a heads up display measuring the distance between all those places. Like, is that roughly the midway point? I have no idea. Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Kyle Imperator and Emily Moyers take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. I'm Kyle Imperator. I'm Emily Moyers, and I'm feeling abrupt tonight. I, I All abrupt. my transitions will be <laughs> just hard right turns. Hard right turns. <laughs> We're going to Houston. <laughs> We're going to Houston. Welcome, everybody, to Butter No Parsnips. Today, I'm going to a little word for Emily. <gasps> Kyle's got a word just for me. All of you have to stop listening. It's my just word. Just for you. It's Yeah, it's her <laughs> word. So stop listening. Every time I say the word, you have to cup your just ears. Just mute it real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Emily. So your word today is Cicerone. Cicerone? Cicerone. C-I-C-E-R-O-N-E. Cicerone. Oh. I thought maybe it would have two ends. Is it is it frosh? It is not frosh. It's not gotta French be... either. <laughs> uh, gotta be Latin then. Yes, in a in a roundabout way. Through another language, yes. Okay, through another language. I can just tell you, it's through Italian. Through Italian. Mm-hmm. So, Ciceron. <laughs> Close, Cicerone. Cicerone. Yeah. Oh. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey, I got the Fonz with me in the studio tonight, yeah. folks. I don't I don't I don't think we were recording for the Fonz part earlier. No, that's why I had to fill them in. <laughs> I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Hard right turns. Hard right. <laughs> uh, oh, Cicerone. Gosh. Cicerone. Cicerone. It can't just mean relating to the works of Cicero, can it? It does or not. No. Is it like philosophy adjacent at all? No. Okay. But totally that's a good different. guess. Oh, all right. I will tell you that this word works as both a noun and a verb. A verb? Yeah, it's more used as the noun. I guess I was thinking adjective. So a Cicerone, mm-hmm. but also it d- does a person Cicerone? He yes. Cicerones? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Emily, I think we need to, like, separate from this podcast, start working on how we can come up with better ways for us to guess these words. Because it's not <laughs> easy, you know? Like, it's I think not. we need to, we need to, like, come up with, like, wow, how are we going to, because it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what I, what do I, where do I even start, you know? Because <laughs> I hard. feel like- 
I like I always tell myself like oh, I'll be able to break down like the parts of the word. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just boy. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> no. All right, I'm going to make I'm going to make one stab in the dark and then you can tell me what it actually is. Okay. When mm-hmm. a person cicerones, mm-hmm. they drive really really fast in their horse-drawn <laughs> carriage. <laughs> Wow. And they go, and the sound of them going by is Cicerone. Cicerone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's onomatopoeic. It's perfect. <laughs> it's like Tantivy. <laughs> yes. And then you go, oh, Cicerone. <laughs> oh, Cicerone. 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 Yeah, yeah. Close, Emily, but not close. <laughs> The definition of Cicerone is a guide who conducts sightseers and explains the antiquities or curiosities of a place to strangers. Oh. Is a Cicerone. And when they're doing that, they are Ciceroning? They are Ciceroning. You got it. Wow. Isn't that fun? That's a lovely word. I know. I like it a lot. Wow. So where does it... Uh, uh, come from it comes from as you so aptly put earlier comes from the italian cicerone meaning a guide who shows people around tourist sites sure yeah that makes sense (laughs) yeah (laughs) pretty obvious Uh uh-huh that comes from the latin kikaronum which is a form of the name Cicero, which is oh, the Latin name of the famed Roman statesman and orator Marcus Tullius Cicero. Wow. Mm-hmm. It all comes back. Wow. So uh, did Cicero do tour guides? <laughs> he did not do tour guides. We're going to talk about the Cicero connection in a little bit. An interesting thing about Cicero is although it comes from Italian, it actually appeared written in English first. And it was spelled like the Italian plural, which is Ciceroni with an I oh, at the end. Right. And when it first appeared, the term specifically referred to Italian tour guides. So... One can assume that the English had more of a reason for using and then writing about Italian tour guides than the Italians did. Sure, 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 sure. Right. That makes sense. But that's my justification for it anyway. No, it makes sense. They, Yeah, because they, they write about it like, oh, this this quirky thing, these Italian cicceroni, aren't they fun? Cicceroni, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> Between the 17th and 19th centuries, Emily, aristocrats traveled all of Europe under a tradition known as the Grand Tour. You ever heard of that? No, I have not. I swear to you, it is not when you play four matches in Mario Kart and then get (laughs) a result. I mean, that is also, but... (laughs) Yeah. Is it like what you do in the 1800s? Like if you just finished high school, but you weren't ready to start college yet, you do a grand tour? I mean, honestly, yes. That is Backpack. pretty much exactly <laughs> it. Yes. <laughs> you nailed, you, you got it uh, on the head there. Hey. 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 <laughs> Monday's happy. Happy days. Monday's yep, happy. Monday's happy. Happy days. Hey, that's not a great show, you guys. Hey, that's that's what we say every Monday when a new episode yeah. comes out. Monday's happy, happy days. 
<laughs> so, Emily, the Grand Tour was a yeah. cultural custom that served as a rite of passage for young Europeans coming of age. So, yeah, you are completely correct. Wow. Basically, European men were encouraged to learn about cultural antiquity and Renaissance history. Um, so they would, like be like swept away and like go tour all of Europe so that they could learn about all these things and bring it back to their homeland and make their relatives and family and and the people that they lived around smarter for sure. knowing all this stuff. More cultured. That makes sense because I feel like a lot of these old books that we look at for this podcast are like travel logs. Yes. Yes. So that would explain why. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I mean, that was a big part of them taking these tours was that they should like record what they were doing so that they could bring it back for posterity's sake, for all of history to know what they learned and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. I mean, thank you. You've given us fodder for all these. Podcasts. I mean, truly. Yeah. <laughs> so since they were encouraged to learn about cultural antiquity and renaissance history it made italy a must see sure. which fostered a need for tour guides throughout the region and these tour guides were often learned antiquarians with a distinct knowledge of the history and curios of local cultures of local italian cultures well i mean it could be any place in europe that they were at but specifically the italian guides were called cicerones oh uh, so you're saying the guides anywhere in europe would be learned antiquarians yes but the italian ones were cicerones gotcha yes so the word cicerone first appeared in joseph addison's 1726 dialogues upon the usefulness of ancient metals which is his travel guide like doing that but also like he's talking about ancient metals as in coins and like how how much you could learn from coins. Oh, wow. He he, yeah. he was like, I got to find my niche in this travelogue yeah. market. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I got to narrow in or nobody's going to buy my book. <laughs> yeah, man. What's going to separate mine from all the other travel books about Italy? I know. It'll be a coin collecting book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll get in on all those old men who collect coins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in 1726. Yeah, they had like those folders. <laughs> With yeah. the state quarters. <laughs> yeah. State quarters. Yeah. The Italian state The Italian quarters. state quarters. I mean, uh, back then, I don't think Italy was a unified country no, yet. I think so that makes sense. Kingdoms. Yeah. Yeah. But they did definitely have quarters. <laughs> they definitely had quarters. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, <laughs> we know that for a fact. And they all had George Washington on them, weirdly yes. enough. <laughs> So in his book, Addison explains excitedly just how knowledgeable these Cicerones were. He says, I must own to you, it surprised me to see my Ciceroni so well acquainted with the busts and statues of all the great people of antiquity. There was not an emperor or empress but he knew by sight. Let a bust be never so disfigured, they have a thousand marks by which to decipher it. They will know a Zenobia by the sitting of her diadem, and will distinguish the Faustinas by their different way of tying up their hair. Oh, sir, says Cynthio, they will go a great deal farther. They will give you the name and titles of a statue that has lost his nose and ears, or, if there is but half a beard remaining, will tell you at first sight who was the owner of it. <laughs> he was just so excited. He was like, oh my God, I could like I could show them anything and they'll know who it is. <laughs> is it like I, I don't know if you'll know the answer, but 
like today a tour guide is like at a spot and like when you go to the Sistine Chapel there's just a Sistine Chapel tour guide is this like you would just have your Cicerone in Italy and they'd go where you want to go not exactly remember this took place like the grand tour extended over like 200 years of history right so at first Cicero Ciceroni were just um literally you would go out and find somebody who worked in art in a museum in history that you would say hey I'll pay you some money if you could take me around town and and tell me about these things so that that wasn't their job they were just called Ciceroni sure but they wouldn't be like tied to a place. Not they could just yet. Ooh. As of the 1700s, as of Joseph Addison's writing, they were not. Gotcha. And I mean, it sounds like a fun way to do it, where you just have a guy that you could bring yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Like, tell me about this thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine you could just like go to, you know, Texas and call yeah. up the mayor and say, hey, can you walk me around town? Tell me what <laughs> the best places to eat are. <laughs> Can you take me to the Johnson Space Center? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this ability to talk extensively about a subject is how the occupation got its connection to Cicero. Sure. We're going to talk a little little bit about Cicero now. Emily, what do you know about Cicero? I know he gave us the first instance of afflatus in writing. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. (laughs) I know he wrote a book about religion and it was a conversation between three philosophers uh melissa mccarthy (laughs) um john voight and i'm john voight another one another one bruce willis bruce willis there we go you guys it's been a long time since we recorded that episode (laughs) it was a while So those are all the things I know about Cicero. <laughs> I mean, great. I mean, a really like solid foundation. Thanks, None of yeah. that has anything to do with the history of him that we're going to talk about today. But oh, good, we're not, you know, we're not talking about Columbo McCarthy. Oh, I mean, we can. I'm sure there's a way we could shoe- shoehorn <laughs> her into this. <laughs> so the name Kikero comes mm-hmm. from the Latin kicker, which means. Chickpea. Chickpea? Chickpea. The most knowledgeable of beans. (laughs) Yes, the smartest legume. (laughs) There's a couple reasons why this might be the case, why Kikero is named Kikero. Okay. One rumor suggests the name came from an ancestor's nose with warts like chickpeas. (laughs) Oh, that really paints a picture. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Is that why all their noses fell off the statue? Yeah. They were weighed down by chickpea warts? Yeah. They were warty like witches' noses. Somebody knocked them all off on purpose because they were like, no one's going to respect these guys if they look like this. Somebody's going to do them a favor. (laughs) Or maybe somebody mistook the warts for chickpeas and were trying to gnaw on them. Have a little snack. (laughs) Have a little snack. So that rumor is probably unlikely as we know that Cicero himself was probably wartless because portrayals of him were wartless at the time and around the time that he was being sculpted artists would sculpt their clients as they were they would sure. exaggerate or make them look nicer so we believe that Cicero wasn't warty and that he probably didn't get them from ancestors that's fair so yeah it's fair right i'd like to be remembered as not warty so <laughs> 
<laughs> well, but like the Greeks and Romans were very much like, love your body, however it yeah. is. So yes, we're gonna exactly. we're gonna sculpt you literally warts and all warts and all yeah oh uh, gosh it's actually it's more likely that his family had made a living growing and selling chickpeas at some point that's what oh, we sure. believe is to be the case yeah Romans often chose down to earth family names some similar examples include the Fabius Lentulus and Piso <laughs> family names amazing can you tell me what those names might translate to. I mean, fava beans, lentils, and peas? You got it. Yep. Well, it's just beans, lentils, and peas, but yes. Beans, yeah. We don't exactly know where Kikero comes from because also kicker was not only Latin for chickpea, it was also Latin slang for testicle. So who knows? It could be anything. You know, I feel like a lot of things end up being slang for testicle. (laughs) (laughs) Really, whatever you want at this point, you know? (laughs) Cicero became known for his own Ciceronian style of rhetoric, which was characterized by melodious language, clarity, and forcefulness of presentation. Remember, he was a famed orator and lawyer and politician. Yeah. All those paintings of him, like, walking down a hallway holding books, talking. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Intelligently. I'm imagining it like Degrassi, but yes. (laughs) I know, the way I said it made it sound like Degrassi. (laughs) But you had to see the the painting in my head. That's who Drake played, right? With Cicero? (laughs) Maybe there's a shark in the water. Sorry, go on. That was just for Seth. So, in particular, Cicero was known for mastering something called the periodic sentence. Have you ever heard of that, Emily? Oh, the period. Is that like a sentence that has all the elements in it? Like the periodic table? Yes, it's like the periodic table, but you have (laughs) to make it into a game. Yeah. (laughs) The periodic sentence. I don't know what that is, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, he mastered it. He really did. He became famous for it. And it's a stylistic device in which the audience is led along gradually so that the idea isn't completed until the very end of the sentence. Oh, I feel like I have heard of this before. Do you have an example? So uh, an example of Cicero being translated correctly into English is that measure was by the assent of the lower senators, but with none of my own authority passed. Sure. Because with a lot of clauses, the noun and the verb aren't completed until the very end, right? right. Yeah. A different way to translate that would be that measure was passed by the assent of the lower senators, but with none of my own authority. That doesn't leave you in suspense as much as the right. first one. Right. And he really used this and abused this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's a good way to make sure your audience is listening. Is listening, yeah. They have to stay tuned to get to the end of the thought. And it made his thoughts forceful so it helped his arguments in in courts and stuff like that yeah that makes sense to me a famous example of usage of the periodic sentence comes from nikolai gogol's short story the overcoat in which gogol writes a sentence that is nearly 300 words with the subject verb group contained within just the last nine words no yes (laughs) So I can't read the entire thing for you because it would take all day. Sure. But I did cut it down by half, and I'd like to read this paraphrasing for you because it's fun. Please. Okay, you ready? Yeah. 
Even at those hours when the gray Petersburg sky is completely overcast and the whole population of clerks have dined and eaten their fill, each as best he can, according to the salary he receives in his personal tastes, at the time when all the clerks are scattered about the apartments of their friends, playing a stormy game of whist, sipping tea out of glasses, eating cheap biscuits, sucking in smoke from long pipes, telling, as the cards are dealt, some scandal that has floated down from higher circles, a pleasure which the Russian do never never by any possibility deny himself, (laughs) or when there is nothing better to talk about, repeating the everlasting anecdote of the commanding officer who was told that the tail had been cut off the horse on the falconet monument. In short, even when everyone was eagerly seeking entertainment, Akaki Akakievich did not indulge in any amusement. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's that's half of the sentence. (laughs) That's so fun, though. I was smiling through that whole thing. (laughs) Is that so fun? I was like, wow, this is like a really great writing style. <laughs> yeah, it really keeps you on the edge of your seat. I can see how it works better in oration, because like trying to read something, a sentence that long, you get lost easily. Right. But like having the benefit of inflection helps a lot. Because like yes. the way the way that you read it is like, I haven't gotten to my thought yet. Right, Exactly. Yeah. And I can just imagine Cicero in Latin in that like a funny voice like and then I guess <laughs> I guess my Cicero's just JFK. <laughs> and then we decided to do a lot of things like make the bed and eventually we will build the Johnson Space Center. <laughs> Yes. So that style, that was a part of the Ciceronian style, what was come to known as the Ciceronian style. And people began to imitate Cicero because they believed in his writing style so vehemently. And this imitation was called Ciceronianism. I like we're just getting longer and longer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and Ciceronianism reached a boiling point during the Renaissance period when poor imitation of Cicero's writing style ran rampant. It was so bad that Desiderius Erasmus, who is one of the leading thinkers of the Renaissance, responded to this trend in his treatise Ciceronianus, in which he attacked Ciceronians for idolizing Cicero to the point where Latin had lost its meaning and had become a dead language. Wow. So how do people use Ciceronianism badly? They would like imitate the style, but have none of the substance. Gotcha. So it would be long-winded sentences, but they weren't making a point. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so these people were like seen as like, by a certain culture, they were seen as zealots who adhered to Ciceronian ideals for writing and orating, but didn't have any of his meaning behind it, you know? Yeah, it was plated butter is what it was. It was plated butter! Exactly, (laughs) Emily! Wow, good. Love that. It just came to me. (laughs) So Cicerone ship the act of being a Cicerone, right, seems to have experienced a similar fall from grace. Oh, oh, the the, the tour guide. Yes, yes. So in the 1800s, the tourism industry in Italy took on a bit of a negative connotation. With the advent of the steam engine, it meant cheaper and safer travel, and so upper-middle-class Europeans were able to undertake the Grand Tour as well. Much more quickly, but with less exploration. Well, yeah, I mean, they uh, previously, 
only the super wealthy were able to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Now anybody could afford, or more people at least. More people. It's, you still had to be pretty wealthy, but the, you know, upper middle class could do it. And for the first time, the Grand Tour also became a must for the flourishing young aristocratic woman as well, usually accompanied by some spinster aunt. Uh, what a disaster. The women could what travel. A disaster. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> That's what <laughs> ruined everything. <laughs> They can write letters and vote. (laughs) My God. No, actually what ruined it was the fact that so many people were traveling to Italy now. The industry need had grown so large that many individuals, knowledgeable or not, had become Cicerones to earn a few extra lira. (laughs) I love the idea of someone giving a tour of Italy and just making up everything coming out of their mouths. (laughs) Well, Emily, you're going to love the next two accounts I have for you. Oh, no. (laughs) Just, yeah, here's the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, It's leaning because actually a few years ago, a big meteorite fell in the side of it and it it just knocked over a little bit. Um, Let's move on. I've got got a question. I'm sorry. Save all questions for the end of the tour after I've left. (laughs) (laughs) And you've paid me. (laughs) You've paid. (laughs) So one gentleman who wrote about this was a man named William Young. And he wrote in an article entitled Brigands, Beggars, and Souvenirs, an unfavorable review of his time in Italy. (laughs) It's a good title, though. It's It is very good, isn't it? He says... I declare that of all the mythical personages of classic lore brought back to one's memory by local association, whether in the Elysian fields or on the borders of Lake Avernus, the harpies are those who alone survive and who obtrude themselves always and everywhere in season and out of season. The foul brood have assumed human semblance and haunt you in all varieties. The unbidden Cicerone or the sturdy beggar, it is hard to say which is the worse. I mean, if you change the language around, that sounds like a Yelp review that could be left today. Honestly, I think it was like like 1800s Yelp, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's basically like would not recommend. (laughs) Zero out of 10. Yeah, zero out of 10 stars. You don't know how many stars are used in Yelp reviews. Is it 10 stars? I don't know how many stars are used in Yelp reviews. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we've all had this uh, adventure today. (laughs) What a fall from grace Kyle just had. (laughs) Yeah. He said, I know, and Emily doesn't. Actually, I don't know. (laughs) A more pointed example, Emily, Uh comes from a letter written by the American author Nathaniel Parker Willis. You're going to like this one. Well, that's good. I like ones that I'm going to like. So uh, Willis says, a humpbacked Cicerone there (laughs) took me to Juliet's tomb. An old woman answered the bell at the dilapidated gate and, without saying a word, pointed to an empty granite sarcophagus raised upon a rude pile of stones. Questa? asked I with a doubtful look. Questa, said the old woman. Questa, said the hunchback. And here, I was to believe, lay the gentle Juliet. But where was the tomb of the Capulets? The beldam took me through a cabbage garden and drove off a donkey who was feeding on an artichoke (laughs) that grew on the very spot. Echo, said she, pointing to one of the slightly sunken spots on the surface. (laughs) I deferred my belief and paying an extra pall for the privilege of chipping off a fragment of the stone coffin followed the Cicerone. (laughs) 
Ah, uh, yeah. But I mean, you know, he doesn't know. It could have been. I mean, the real thing, though, is I don't think th- were either of those people, re- were the Capulets a real family? I don't know. <laughs> you know? You know, sometimes Shakespeare did adapt. Yeah, real right. Stuff. But even then, from the sources that he was getting, who knows how much of that was real and not mythology. Update from this Google search? No. They were not. Yeah. So. <laughs> Echo. Echo. <laughs> I mean, honestly, then, I mean, you're at fault for paying someone to show you Juliet's grave. <laughs> <laughs> you're a dumb tourist. And they, they to rightly took advantage of it. <laughs> you said, where? I'm in Italy. Where are the Mario brothers buried? <laughs> so, as you can clearly understand, Emily, the Grand Tour tradition had waned in Europe by the end of the 19th century. Yeah. But it was just uh, as, and also partly due to, the advent of mass tourism in Italy. Sure. So people were just doing a visit to Italy rather than yes. a, a whole shebang. So the English businessman Thomas Cook started a travel agency called Thomas Cook and & Son, and along with it, he was one of the first to sell packaged tour tours, where one fee would cover the cost of travel, accommodations, and the like. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. in the late 1800s? Late 1800s. I believe the 1870s was when this became super popular. That is early. For a his tours, deal vacation. <laughs> it, I know, right? It's it really was the advent of our modern day tourism. Yeah, um, and his tours were so popular they were just called Cook's tours. Like they they had a like a colloquialism name. I feel like I've heard that. And and his agency made travel available to the masses, which was a big turnoff for the European aristocracy, of course. Sure. But the agency had inadvertent effects, like helping to circulate and stabilize Italy's new currency, the lira. Oh. And it made travel affordable for middle-class Italians in Italy. Interesting. Like within Italy? Within Italy. So the, the middle class of Italy was able to get around more and travel more often because sure. of his tourism agency and the kind of inroads that they laid with train travel and all that stuff like that. Sure. Well, that's nice. But as the Grand Tour fell out of favor in Europe, it began to grow in America thanks to the Gilded Age renewed interest in European sophistication, which was something that was satirized by Mark Twain in his travel book, <laughs> The Innocence Abroad. This book, The Innocence Abroad, became Twain's best-selling book, and it is one of the best-selling travel books of all time. Wow. Better selling than like all of his novels? Yeah. Wow. Because I guess people were like, I want to go to Italy. (laughs) Sure. And who can I trust? What did Mark Twain say about it? To tell me about it. Yeah. (laughs) Anthony Bourdain of his time. Yes. The Anthony Mark Twain. Anthony Mark Twain. <laughs> so so by this t- point, Emily, the term Cicerone had been attached to a guide of any locale. And now it can be used as widely to mean a guide through something like a literary or a tra- an artistic work, as in a narrator or a reviewer. Oh, like we are Cicerone of words? Of words, exactly, Emily. Wow. Oh, I should have saved that for my sentence. You should Dang have, it. because that's coming up in one second. God, Ready? crap. <laughs> Before that, I want to say, even more recently, the term Cicerone has taken on a secondary meaning. It is the beer industry's analog to the wine industry's sommelier. Oh, oh, 
that's fun. Yeah. So somebody be a, who a beer cicerone, a cicerone. Yeah. Do, do they like come around at restaurants and say like, "This is what I recommend with your meal"? There's like a real push in the beer industry to try and like fancify beers. So yeah. there's like all of these cicerone programs where you can get like a, a degree in ciceroning so that sure. you can like know about all the beers yeah so wow. yes that might be that's a like a be. real that's like a current developing thing yes oh, it's fun. like within the past 15 years it's become a thing man you guys yeah. language is always evolving it's always evolving <laughs> and emily knows so much about that that i'm gonna ask her emily <sighs> can you use cicerone in a sentence i i let's try all right i mean I could go for the the easy route here. Um, I I went to Italy once mm -hmm. in my childhood and mm -hmm. had mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. wonderful Cicerone show me around. Actually, we got a private Cicerone to show us around oh, an Italian vineyard. <laughs> that's actually very good, Emily. That's that's a really good usage of Cicerone, and I'm really proud of you for that because we've Thanks. had pretty bad luck in these <laughs> use it in a sentence portions of the podcast. So nice job. <laughs> yeah, wait till they get to next week. Yeah. yeah. All right, Emily, you're on riding on top. Are you ready for a game? Ooh, I'm I'm riding high. Let's see if I can keep this luck going. I doubt it. Okay. <laughs> Emily, your game today is called That's a Tore. Oh, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> really so, good. Emily, whilst doing research into Ciceroning, I came across a number of other long forgotten or traditional Italian occupations. Ooh. So, I'm going to give you the name of some of these occupations. And I want you to guess what that profession was. I mean, I did such a good job with Cicerone. Where can I go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> so the first one you're going to get is the Saponaro. S-A-P-O-N-A-R-O. A Saponaro. Yeah, I'll sorry. give you one guess a for each saponaro. of them. <laughs> Thank you. Is someone who chops down trees. Just a lumberjack. <laughs> no, Emily, a saponaro is a ragman. A ragman? Like a ragman. Meaning what? So, saponaro comes from sapone, meaning soap. Oh. And a saponaro was someone who collected rags and bits of clothing in exchange for pieces of soap. So you would trade in your clothes and get soap? Like your and old get dirty? soap. Interesting. Yep. It was like a traveling laundry guy. Weird deal, but I guess good. <laughs> the next one is the tamburinaio. Ooh. It is spelled T-A-M-B-U-R-I-N-A-I-O. Tamburinaio. I mean, I, I cannot avoid the fact that the beginning of this word is tambourine. So mm -hmm. is it a, a musician? A tambourinist? Oh, wow. No, it's not. Oh. <laughs> a tambourinaio is a tambourine salesman. Oh, all right. That was close. So I guess this was just a specific job in Italy. It came from <laughs> the Italian tamburello, meaning tambourine. And for context, the image that I found presents a man wearing a pyramid of tambourines on his head like a Devo hat. And I'm just going <laughs> to grab that image real quick to show you because it is wow. Oh my gosh, it is. They're, they're all stacked up. They're all stacked up. Okay, your next clue is the Maruzzaro. M-A-R-U-Z-Z-A-R-O. Maruzzaro. 
Okay, a marutsaro is a mouse catcher. That's actually, I like that. That's pretty good. Oh, you're good. You're you're close in the sense that it is about an animal. Oh. But a marutsaro was a snail vendor. A snail vendor. <laughs> yep. From the Italian maruzza, meaning snail or sea snail. These guys, they just sold snails on the street. Oh, I guess for like eating. I guess, yeah. I mean, I didn't. In England, they made like eel pastries out of eels from the Thames. So yeah, but it's people just, eat I guess, whatever they got. <laughs> it's interesting that you would only sell that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if that's what you're good at, you know, maybe yeah. they made like real good snails. Yeah, they bred the snails. <laughs> yeah. All right, two more, Emily. This one's called the Zampognari. Z-A-M-P-O-G-N-A-R-I. So this is plural. Is it like like a league of people? Yes. Okay. These were all of the many people in Italy who uh oh I feel it's, it's something like like the lamplighters like the I'll stick with that the lamplighters. <laughs> no, but I like that a lot. That's a good one too. I was trying to think of Actually, what would be like a group. The Zampognari are Christmas time musicians that play oh. a folk oboe called the Charamella. And the Neapolitan bagpipes called the Zampogna. Wow, the Neapolitan bagpipes. Bagpipes. Did I say bagpipes? <laughs> you did. I meant bagpipes. Woof. Wow. I mean, um, that sounds like interesting Christmas music, but uh, yes, I bet it's nice. So, like Christmas carolers, the Zampognari travel house to house playing Christmas music. Specifically, a single carol they were known for called "Quando nascette." Nino, which means when the child was born, mm. and they still busk the streets of Italy today during Christmas time. Oh, that's nice. All right, Emily, your last one is the Franfelicaro, and it's spelt F-R-A-N-F-E-L-L-I-C-C-A-R-O. Franfelicaro. Ooh, I almost feel like I could break this word down, but I don't think I can. You um, can't. <laughs> <laughs> Fran is someone who makes little, little, little uh, tchotchkes out of bits of string. Man, I freaking love that, man. <laughs> it's not, but we got to make that a, we got to pay someone to do that, you know? <laughs> That's going to be the next Butter No Parsnips Patreon tier. $30 a month gets us to hire somebody to make tchotchkes out of little bits of string. <laughs> um, no, Emily, a Franfelicaro is a candy seller. Oh. Specifically, they sold Franfelica, which was a soft caramel candy stuck on a stick to prevent <laughs> your hands from getting sticky. It's a precursor to the lollipop. Oh, interesting. And... Yeah, and Franfelica literally translates to something like, you look like something the cat dragged in. I guess because <laughs> it was just like a big mess, so you had to put it on a stick. So funny. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's those are all delightful words. Uh, Cicerone 
is fantastic. I don't know how I'm going to I'm going to find opportunities to use it. I mean, you know, we Cicerone, you Cicerone, I Cicerone, he, she, we, me, Cicerone. Uh, we do. this. We just got done Ciceroning, ladies and gents. And if you like this Ciceroning, remember, you can find Butter No Parsnips on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. You can consider giving us a five-star rating or a, a review wherever you heard us. And if you really liked today's Ciceroning, consider <laughs> donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butter no parsnips donating five dollars or more earns you a shout out either on social media or here on the podcast yeah so thanks so much to all of you you help us make what we make and with that i've been kyle imperator and i've been emily moyers and this has been butter no parsnips Thank you for listening to Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance, and we'll be back next week.